Okay. I don't know about you, the more I learn about SAT-7, the more I'm just amazed at the effectiveness of, and, of that ministry and the thinking that goes into it. Um, just here's, here's kind of an iron curtain situation, and the thinking of the people who, who organized it and who, uh, uh, who originated the, the ministry, okay, how do we get the gospel behind this, this, to use an old term, iron curtain? And they've done it. Just a, just a tremendous, what, what, a, what a tremendous ministry. Uh, again, body of Christ working together. Not all of us can do what SAT-7 is doing, but SAT-7 is doing it, and we can support them. Just, a, just tremendous. All right, so until, uh, so we've got POP 3 starting at 9 o'clock. We'll try to end uh, about, about 10 or 5 to 9 to give us time to pick up the kids and head over there. So just a bit of a rundown of, of the remaining teaching sessions that, that I have here. Uh, this evening we'll talk about, we'll, we'll really dive into the age of the earth issue and what the Bible says about the age of the earth. That's tonight. We'll look at the biblical text. Tomorrow morning, uh, dinosaurs. Dinosaurs in the Bible. All the, all the parents, we all get questions from our kids about dinosaurs, how do dinosaurs fit into the Bible and so on. And so we want to deal with that. And then we'll have a Q&A time. There's time for Q&A after that. And then tomorrow evening is our last session, tomorrow at 7.30, and we'll talk about evangelism. We live in a culture where most people have heard of evolution, evangelism strategies in an evolutionized world. That's the title for tomorrow evening, and that's our last session. And then Ambush does the Thursday morning session. And uh, so that's, that's kind of where we're going. So this evening, uh, what the Bible says about the age of the earth. So we'll look at that. I, I mentioned uh, kind of when we started on Sunday morning, I, I threw out this, this, uh, uh, this date that the earth is around 6,000 years old. And then I mentioned right after that, that if that's the first time that anyone has told you that, you're likely, you know, it's like a mind-blown situation. What are you talking about? 6,000 years, how, how, how can that be? And, and, and again, that's the reaction of most people. That was certainly my reaction the first time somebody told me that. What, the earth is 6,000 years or about 6,000 years old? I thought that's, that's ridiculous. But let's, let's look at Scripture. We can look at scientific evidences for the age of the earth. We're not going to have time for that tonight. But let's just think of what the Bible says about the age of the earth. Some people say the Bible doesn't say anything about the age of the earth. You can make it say whatever you want. Well, let's, let's, we'll, we'll, we'll have a look at that. We'll think about that. Um, now, the, we want to start with probably a question that we haven't had yet. What about the word day in Genesis? Could the word day there in Genesis chapter 1 allow for millions of years? So we read, we open up our Bibles, we start reading at the beginning there, and we read that God created in six days. One, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, different things created on each of the six days. And we hear about millions of years, millions of years, it's all around us, you, you, you can't, can't go anywhere without hearing about millions of years, even kids' programs on TV talk about millions of years, things lived millions of years ago, died millions of years ago, and so on. They're everywhere. And there's this incredible temptation for us to try to find ways to get the millions of years into the Bible. And, and, and uh, one of the ways to do that is, well, let, maybe the word day isn't, uh, isn't an ordinary day, the six days of creation. Here's a few opening thoughts as we think about the word day in Genesis there. The first opening thought, we, we, we've got to admit, the word day is a pretty simple word, isn't it? There's, there's more difficult words in Scripture, propitiation, justification, sanctification, atonement, things like that. Those, those words take essays to unpackage the, the full meaning of those words, right? The word day, right off the bat, is a pretty simple word right? Uh, it's, it's an easy-to-understand word. The word day has a variety of meanings, doesn't it? Like most words in English, if you, look, if you go, to, go to Google or whatever, dictionary.com, type in a word there, there's meaning A, meaning B, meaning C, meaning D. There's all kinds of different words. The thing is, it's easy to understand the different meanings. It's an easy word to understand, and it's easy to understand the different meanings. And we do this subconsciously. If you read the word day in any literature, not just the Bible, but in any literature, we do this automatically. We, we figure out the particular meaning that applies in that, in that context by exactly that, the context, as we read along. Uh, for example, it can have uh, a variety of meanings. Uh, one, of the word, one, of the words we, one of the ways it could be used is in the good old days. 
right? You've heard that phrase before, There's, and everybody knows what that means. It kind of went back in, back in the, the good days, right, when we didn't have internet and we walked, you know, uphill five miles to school each way and, and, and uh, all these kinds of things. And after, I, after a hard day's work, I went home. So the, the word day has a different meaning. It's talking about a work day, isn't it? Right? It's easy, easy to understand. This is not difficult. Easy to understand. Or we could think of uh, the word day as it refers to other heavenly objects, like a day on Venus lasts almost 117 Earth days. So there the word day is used again in that little bullet point there. And so we understand, okay, a day isn't always referring to you know, one Earth rotation. It could, it could refer to another planet somewhere, like in this case. Or, or in figures of speech, his day will come. That doesn't really, it's not referring to like a literal day, a literal earth rotation day. It's talking about his time will come, right? He's going to get what's coming to him. That's maybe a bit of cynicism in that phrase. But we all understand it's not difficult. Everybody knows what these phrases mean, right? And then there's the word day in figures of speech, like go ahead, make my day. If you remember the Clint Eastwood movies from long ago, or let's call it a day, Right? Well, that's, that's, that's a figure of speech. It's not, it's like, let's call what a day? Let's call the dog a day? Let's call the, what, well, it's a figure of speech. We all know what that means, right? It means let's, let's end, let's finish, let's quit, let's go home. Let's call it a day. A red letter day, right? There's another figure of speech. We all know what that means. And, and to, to, to use these words now in a, in a particular, well, a, a poem, I'm not, I'm not a poet, I wrote, the, I wrote this poem based on my childhood experiences, this is the best I can do, living in, uh, in, in kind of this part of the world, in southern Ontario. It's, uh, it's about a two-day drive getting to, uh, getting to Florida. And so when I was uh, much younger, uh, during March break in school, my parents would take us and my, my two sisters, and we'd drive down and go see Mickey Mouse in Orlando there. So I made this, this poem based on my childhood experiences using the word day in different ways. And I'm sure it's easy for every single one of you to pick out the different meanings of the word day. Again, you can almost do this subconsciously. Here it is. In my father's day, it took three days to drive to Florida driving only during the day. All right. So there's, I said I'm not a poet. So there you have, there's my poem. I use the word day in three different ways, and it's easy for all of you to figure out the different meanings, right? For example, this first instance here, what does that mean? Is that referring to a literal earth rotation day? No, right? It's kind of synonymous with time. It could easily just as, it could just as well say, in my father's time. Back in, you know, you know, it's not totally ambiguous. It means obviously when my dad was alive in the past, not, not way back in the past. We all understand what that means, right? Easy to understand. Okay, in my father's day, it took three days. Are those literal days? They are, aren't they? Not hard to understand. In my father's day, it took three days to drive to Florida, driving only during the day. Okay, so what does day mean there? It's the, exactly. It's the daylight portion of one earth rotation. That's not hard to understand, is it? Take that same hermeneutic, that same interpretive principle, and go to Genesis, go to Scripture. That same basic interpretive principle. Actually, let's let's look outside of Genesis for just a few minutes. We'll get to Genesis in in, in just a couple of minutes here. Elsewhere in Scripture where the word day is used. For example, in Zechariah 14 here, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil will be taken from you, the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. Okay, so what does day mean there? Behold, a day is coming for the Lord. It's, it's kind of time, right? Yeah, some of you said it. So that's, it, it, again, not easy, not difficult to understand, right? It's easy to understand. We can all figure that out. Uh, let's, let's, so, okay, time. There's that one there. Let's do another one. In John 9, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Now, what's it there? That's, it's a figure of speech. Yeah, somebody said it over here. Day and night, our day is kind of associated with good and night with evil. It's, it's an analogy. It's being used as an analogy, Right? And you might, need to, you might need to look at more of the context of, in John 9 here to get the meaning of it there. But the point is, it's not that hard to figure out. 
right? In just a few seconds, somebody got it. It's not hard to figure out. So figure of speech in that case there. Let's do another one. In Luke, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. What does day mean there? It's three days, right? Three ordinary days, Christ will rise. No problem. Now let's go to Genesis. Again, this same interpretive principle, the same hermeneutic, using the context to understand the particular meaning in that case. We know that the word day has a variety of different meanings, but we need to find a particular meaning in any phrase that we're reading, in any type of literature. We're using the Bible here, of course, but... So instead, actually not Genesis 1 yet. We'll get to Genesis 1 in just a second because it's controversial there. It's interesting how it's not controversial anywhere else in Scripture, isn't it? Hmm. We could talk about that. But let's, let's go to Genesis 2. In Genesis 2, it says, In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. What does the word day mean there? It's time, Right? It's referring to the whole time of creation, the whole creation week, if you want to think of it that way. So there we have time. There's one meaning of the word day. Okay, now let's go to Genesis 1. This is, this, is, this is where everybody wants to argue, Genesis 1. The first verse that includes the word day is verse 5. It appears twice, and it has a different meaning each time. Here it is. God called the light day, there's the first instance, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Okay, so there's the word day, it appears twice, it's the first time in scripture, and it has a different meaning each time. What does the first instance mean? Is it daylight, right? God, it's, even, it's even defined, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. What does it mean? It's an earth rotation day, isn't it? It's not hard to understand. And yet there's great hesitation. It's like, can we, does it really say that? Yes, it really says that. Again, it's the millions of years outside of the Bible that causes us to hesitate in saying that that's an ordinary day. You have the words there, there was evening, there was morning. What, what, what's an evening? That, that's a sunset. It's like now when the sun goes down, it gets darker, right? What, what, it's, there, there was morning. What happens in the morning? Sun comes up, right? It's like the earth is rotating. There, darkness is coming. Then light comes one day. If, 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 if we were, let, let's have delusions of grandeur for a moment. If we were the Holy Spirit, and we were the, the ultimate author of Scripture anyways, and we wanted to communicate to our readers that God created in six earth rotation days, how much more clearly could you write it than the way it's written already? Right? There was evening. There was morning. One day. And then, it's, and then, as if that wasn't enough, it's repeated throughout Genesis 1 over and over again. You know, in case you didn't get it the first time, here's again in verse 8. Evening and morning and a number, the second day. And then in, in, in case you're severely intellectually challenged, here it is again. Evening, morning, number, day. And then, and then over and over again. Evening, morning, number, day. In case you're really, really thick... Here it is again, evening, morning, number day, evening, morning, number day, over and over again. It's almost like God knew that there would be controversy over this simple word in the future. So it's just, it's written so clearly there in Genesis. So from the text, and if we're, if we're Christians and, and maturing in our faith, all our lives should be based on Scripture. It should be a scripture-first approach, right? That's part of spiritual growth. We, we don't start that way necessarily, but we get to the point where we recognize that God's opinions are better than ours. And so God's opinions are held in high esteem. It's a high view of scripture, and our opinions are beneath that. And hopefully, over time, as we grow closer to Christ, our opinions line up with what the Bible says. And then we live out those truths in our lives. That's, that's spiritual growth, right? But then people say, wait, wait a minute, what about this verse in 2 Peter here that says one day is as a thousand years? Anybody ever thought of that verse? Well, well maybe the days could be a thousand, maybe they could be, maybe they could be millions of years based on this verse. But you know a good thing to, to do in Scripture when you see something is, is, is just keep reading. Just keep reading. There's more to the verse. Anybody know the rest of the verse? Comma, and a thousand years as one day. Oops, 
That just cancels that out, doesn't it? The first part of it is talking about stretching a day to be a thousand years, and then after the comma, it's talking about compressing a thousand years into a day. And if you look at the larger context here in 2 Peter 3, Peter's not talking about the creation days. He's talking about God's patience. God is outside of time. He wants as many people to come to know his son as possible before he puts an end to this world. And we get the new heavens and new earth after that. That's the context there in 2 Peter 3. It has nothing to do with the creation days. It's amazing. And then, and then some people will, will say, well, okay, yeah, maybe the text in Genesis and other places indicates that it's an ordinary day, but Genesis is poetry, you see. It's, it's just a poetical account. So we can make it say whatever we want, even though, yeah, it might be written as a literal day. You know, Genesis is not poetry. Dr. Stephen Boyd, who's got a PhD in Hebraic and Cognate Studies, um, he did a computer analysis of the different verb types in Genesis, comparing that with clear poetry, Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry has a particular structure. There's synonymous and asymmetrical parallelism and all kinds of different things. And his analysis showed that Genesis chapter 1 matches narrative, historical narrative, with a 99.997% probability. Not, not 50-50. Oh, it, it, it could be history, could be poetry, could go both ways. It's 99%, basically, it's written as history. It's written as a factual historical account. There's no question. If you look at the terminology, look at the word, the structure of Genesis 1 there, it's not poetry. You can't, that, you can't use that as an out to try to get the millions of years into Genesis. It's clear that it's history. So the word day is an, is, has a number of different meanings. The meaning there in Genesis 1, we can, you read the text and just apply the same hermeneutic that we apply reading any other piece of literature, and you come up with God created recently in six days and there was a global flood. We can talk about those other things as well. How old is the earth? Let's talk about that a little bit. Well, if we, uh, I mentioned 6,000 years. How do we get to 6,000 years? How does that work? Well, just very simply, if we just want to do ballpark figures, start with Abraham, and count backwards from there. Everybody knows, everybody who studies ancient history, uh, the theologians, historians, that kind of thing. Um, Abraham was born around 2000 BC, 1900 to 2100. No one today is saying that Abraham was born 5000 BC or 20,000 BC. Everybody knows Abraham was born around 2000 BC. Well, in our Bibles, in Genesis 5 and Genesis 11, we have chronogenealogies, genealogies with the chronology, the time between each of the individuals listed there. We have the exact year between the creation of Adam and the birth of Abraham, 2009 years. So if you want to get a ballpark figure going back to Adam and Eve and, and creation week, you subtract 2009 years, it gets you to around 4,000 BC. So the earth is about 6,000 years old. And then, and then, so we, we've, we've put that out there and says, well, this, this is what this, here's how you get to 6,000 years. And the folks who want to push millions of years, they, they push back and they say, ah, yes, but there could be gaps in those genealogies. Because there's, there's gaps in the genealogies in Matthew and Luke, but in Genesis 5 and Genesis, and that's done for a reason, in Genesis 5 and Genesis 11, there, there's the time period between each of the individuals there. And, and it's, it's one thing to say there could be gaps. It's quite another thing to, to, to suppose where those gaps could fit in. Here's a chart kind of showing the, the genealogies. There's Adam down there at the bottom. Now, Seth is def, he's, he's definitely a direct son of Adam and Eve because he's seen as a replacement for Abel, who killed Cain. So there's no gaps there. Now, Enosh must be a son of Seth because Seth named him. You can't have a gap there. Jude 14 says that Enoch was the seventh from Adam. So that indicates a straightforward father-son relationship, at least for the first seven uh, um, generations there. And then Shem, Ham, and Japheth, well, they were, uh, uh, or Lamech named Noah, so Lamech must be his father. Shem, Ham, and Japheth, they were definitely ordinary sons of Noah because they accompanied him on the ark. So they weren't grandsons or great-grandsons. They were with him on the ark. Arphaxad. said... Um, was plainly a son of Shem because he was born only two years after the flood. <laughs> so 
It's one thing to say there could be gaps in those genealogies. It's quite another matter to to suppose exactly where the gaps could fit in because there's a lot of places that they can't fit in. And that chart, by the way, is from uh, something on our website like this. You can download that as a PDF. Go to creation.com, type in timeline of the Bible, and it gives you all kinds of... You can't read this. I, I, you can, can't read the details from the back there, but all kinds of just interesting information. Uh, so Jesus, you can see the cross there. Um, here we go. Yes, over here, here's Jesus. Along the bottom here, you have the, the amount of time that, that is covered by all the books in the Bible. Here's Genesis, this huge blue bar here. Genesis covers an immense period in the history of the earth, a huge period. Here's the New Testament. It just covers that little bit there. That's incredible. A lot of information in that chart. But why does it matter? If the earth is young, if the earth is old, why does it really matter? I, I touched on this a little bit on Sunday morning as we got started. It matters because if the millions of years are a fact, the gospel is destroyed. You end up breaking the relationship between sin and death. That's what the millions of years does. See, the millions of years isn't just some ethereal concept that, that is added to the Bible. The millions of years comes from geology. It comes from the rock record. Here's a picture of Grand Canyon that, that I took a number of years ago. You see the rocks there? There's, 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 they say those are millions of years old. Slow and gradual deposition over eons of time. The thing is, people didn't always believe that. There was a time 250, 300 years ago where the general population believed the earth was relatively young, like on the order of thousands of years. Major scientists uh, believed that as well. Johann Kepler, Isaac Newton, he's still hailed as the greatest scientist who ever lived. He, he believed the earth was young. Many other scientists did, and, and many people did. Then, then in the, in the kind of the late 1700s, early 1800s, some people came along and, and, and basically said, you know, these rock layers that you see here in Grand Canyon and exposed elsewhere in the world as well, there's, there's different rock layers, they said, no, no, they, they weren't laid down in a global flood, they were laid down slowly over millions of years, you know, a millimeter per year, which means, look at all that thickness of rock, it must have taken eons of time. So the Bible's time scale's not right. And one of those people was Charles Lyell. Charles Lyell was, uh, was a British lawyer in the 1800s, and, um, and, and he had an interesting motive. He wrote to a colleague of his, his purpose for reinterpreting the rocks. No, those weren't laid down in a flood. Those are laid down slowly over millions of years. His purpose was to free the science from Moses. Well, what did Moses write? Genesis. Hmm. So he's, he's trying... He's ba what he was basically saying is... Just leave your Bible in the church. Don't use it to understand the world around you. Just, it's, it's good for warm and fuzzy feelings and learning about God, and, 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 and you, just, you just keep it in the church. And, and, and us, us scientists will apply millions of years to everything we see around there. So he had some interesting motives. And other leading evolutionists, uh, for example, this fellow here, Ernst Mayer, yeah, he said that the Darwinian revolution, so, so Darwin's evolution becoming popular, began when it became obvious, he says, that the earth was very ancient rather than having been created only 6,000 years ago. This finding was the snowball that started the whole avalanche. It's interesting that as an evolutionist, he recognizes that the acceptance, that the, the popularity of millions of years had to be in place first in order for Darwinian evolution to take off. Because if the earth is young, there's not enough time for these slow, gradual changes in living things to produce all the life we see on the planet today. You need to get people thinking in terms of a very, very old earth, then you can have evolution. In fact, if there's evidence that the earth is young, it's not just, it's not just in the age of the earth debate, it actually attacks evolution itself. If the earth is young, there's not enough time for evolution. So it's, it, 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 they, they transfer back and forth sometimes, the age of the earth debate and evolution itself, biological evolution. But again, that didn't stop them from producing things like this, and I showed this last night as well, or, or a couple of nights ago, I think. The geologic time scale, you might be familiar with this from your school days. You see these in textbooks and so on. And uh, again, I'm, I'm, let's just, for, just for repetition's sake, we find these kinds of things in the fossil record. Painful death, violent death in the fossil record, all kinds of bone diseases, osteoporosis, cancer, osteoarthritis, all kinds of things in the fossil record there. Many instances of cancer, not just one or two, 
cancer all over the fossil record. There's extinction, carnivorous activity. There's fossil thorns, which should, should turn the light bulbs on in our minds a little bit in, in terms of understanding when the fossil rec- record was laid down. For example, there's, there's pain, examples of pain in the fossil record. Here's a hadrosaur vertebrae, vertebrae of a, of a dinosaur, and there's a tooth embedded, it's pointing to it with a pen there, embedded between two of the vertebrae. And, and the, the bone has grown around that tooth to some extent. What does that mean? It means that the hadrosaur lived for some time with this tooth in its back. I don't know if any of you have, have ever had back pain. You wake up in the morning. That's back pain, isn't it? The tooth of another dinosaur is between one of your vertebrae. That's, you see that in the fossil record. It's not a nice record. And that gives us clues as to where the fossil record fits into biblical history. And I showed you this picture already. Rapid fossilization, carnivorous activity, animals eating other animals. There's fossil thorns. There's some pictures of fossil thorns, apparently hundreds of millions of years old, according to the conventional dating. And if we think of biblical history, again, we we did this on Sunday morning. This is just review. But here's the, the difficulty with the age of the earth debate. God calls his creation very good here. At the end of creation, right? Six days, then Genesis 1 verse 31, last verse in Genesis 1, he calls his creation very good. The question is, could the fossil record have existed at the time God called his creation very good? And the answer is a resounding no, of course not. God can't, the loving God that we read about in the Bible could never call cancer and pain and disease very good. Those are the results of the curse on creation. Right? So when we think of where the fossil record fits, it has to be after this point, not before, but after this point in history. And if God called his creation very good approximately 6,000 years ago, it means that the fossil record has to be young, not old. And again, we kind of, we've, we've, we've talked around this issue already, talking about the flood and so on. The flood is, is a perfect mechanism for producing the fossil record. If, if the fossils really are millions of years old, then the, the picture you have to imagine in your mind of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden would be something like this. Oh, Adam, what a perfect world. Yes, Eve, all these plants are so nice to touch, uh, and there's thorns all over the place. <laughs> thorns are supposed to be the, the result of the curse on creation, right? There was, there was things that happened after Adam sinned and God cursed his creation. And then verses like this. Here's a verse that, that you all know. There's an Awana verse. This is a Sunday school verse. It's a verse that links death and sin. The wages, the penalty, the cost, the result of sin is death. We all know this. And we're told that Jesus died to pay for our sins. Obviously, then, there's a link between death and sin. But if we go with the fossils and the record of death, which is really what it is, being millions of years old, then, as I said on Sunday morning already, and here's the difficulty with this young earth, old earth, controversy, if it's old, if the fossil record really is millions of years old, you've got death before sin, millions of years before sin, and all kinds of other terrible things. And then about 6,000 years ago, Adam sins, but then Adam's sin didn't bring death, did it? All these bad things were already around. So we could ask the question, what did Adam's sin do? And the answer is, nothing. But if Adam's sin didn't really bring death and all these bad things into existence, then there's no link between sin and death. So then the last Adam didn't really die to pay for sins. And that's the the key issue in this, this, this controversial debate in the church, young earth, old earth. If that verse is wrong, if the fossil record really is millions of years old, it is wrong, then everything comes tumbling down. And there's other verses in Scripture like this one here that link death and sin. Without the shedding of blood, that's obviously referring to physical death, right? Without physical death, there is no forgiveness of sins. Physical death came into the world as a result of Adam's sin, and then Jesus, the last Adam, pays the price of physical death for our sins. And everyone who accepts the free gift of God in Christ Jesus and turns through repentance and faith and places their trust in Christ, their sins are forgiven, that's the message of, the, of Christianity, the message of the Bible. It's the heart, of, the heart of salvation. But if the fossils are millions of years old, then, then there's no connection between sin and death, and you have the collapse of Christianity, really. 
So it's not a, it's not a fine issue. It's not a, it's not a side issue. It's a main issue. The six days of creation. So we have kind of an either-or situation. It's millions of years or the gospel. And there are people who, who if, you, if you work the logic through step by step, you can't have both. And there have been people who've recognized that. Does anybody know the name Charles Templeton? Does that name ring a bell? Yeah, okay, a couple people. Does anybody know the name Billy Graham? <laughs> okay, of course, he just died a little while ago. Billy, Charles Templeton and Billy Graham were, were evangelistic buddies. They, they did these crusades throughout Europe years ago. Um, Charles Templeton was at one point a more famous evangelist than Billy Graham. He was a Canadian, Canadian evangelist. He had a church in Toronto. Uh, here he is in Fredericton, New Brunswick, November 15, 1953. That's out in the Maritimes in, in, in Canada, out east. He was influential in starting Youth for Christ in Canada, the Canadian branch. But uh, for the, a couple of you said, yeah, you've heard of Charles Templeton. Uh, you probably also know, if you've heard of him, that before he died, many years ago now, he wrote this book. Farewell to God, my reasons for rejecting the Christian faith. What happened to Templeton? You know what? Templeton, unlike Billy Graham, who had a Christian background and Christian parents, Templeton was saved. He was, he was a pagan. He, he had an emotional experience one night and immediately began preaching. And then he, they, he got onto the evangelistic association there with Billy and the other guys. And, uh, and, and they recognized after, after quite a number of events that he would sometimes preach entire sermons without referencing the Bible once because he just didn't have that background. He was a gifted preacher but um, uh, didn't have, a, didn't have a, a theological background. So they sent him to Princeton. They said, you need to get some, need to get some Bible education. Well, Princeton... And, and many of these Ivy League schools, Princeton, Harvard, Yale, and so on, they were all Bible colleges originally, weren't they, basically? And, and today, they're, they're bastions of evolution, just incredible, and, or, or atheism, that kind of thing, agnosticism. And so by the, time, by the time Templeton in the 50s and 60s went to Princeton, Princeton had already added millions of years into their Old Testament courses. So Templeton, Templeton was consistent. So he's getting a Bible education, learning that, well, the millions of years are a fact. And he works through that logic that we just went through a few minutes ago here, and he, and he realized that if the millions of years are a fact, the gospel doesn't work. And he left the faith. It's a sad story. He says in his book, here he is with Billy Graham, very young Billy Graham, uh, many years ago, but Billy, it's simply not possible any longer to believe, for instance, the biblical account of creation. The world wasn't created over a period of days a few thousand years ago. It has evolved over millions of years. Amazing. It was the millions of years that derailed Templeton's faith. You can see that in his book. It is a very, very depressing book to read. He concludes his book this way, I believe that there is no supreme being with human attributes, no God in the biblical sense, but that life is the result of timeless evolutionary forces having reached its present transient state over millions of years. A sad end to Templeton. Just amazing. But the millions of years, he, now he was consistent. He recognized that you either have millions of years or the gospel. Now he ended up going the wrong direction, but the millions of years are not a fact. What's the solution? The solution, the fossil record is exactly the result expected from a global flood. We did this a couple of days ago. The flood is the key to understanding the age of the earth. The flood would have aged the earth. I think I said that twice already. If, if some of you here struggle with this notion of, you know, how could God possibly create recently? That just sounds crazy. Think about what a global flood would do. It's the key to understanding the age of the earth. If the flood produced the fossil record then it isn't millions of years old, right? Let's work the logic through. If the rocks were laid down in a global flood and then the animals and plants buried in those rocks, some of them, which be, some of them became fossils, then it can't at the same time be evidence for millions of years. So if there's, if there's some scientist that says, well, this is millions of years old, well, but, but it can't be. If it was laid down in the flood, it can't possibly be millions of years old. An interesting way of thinking about that. What else can we point to in Scripture to kind of point to a young earth? We looked at Genesis and the word day there and the genealogies and so on. Give us around 6,000 years. Here's another verse in the New Testament, Mark 10. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Not millions of years or billions of years after the beginning, but at the beginning. 
If we, if we put the two timelines, one on top of each other, uh, here's the biblical timeline, people created on day six, and, uh, and Jesus said that about 4,000 years after that point, about 2,000 years ago. So people are created at the beginning of creation. But if we put the evolutionary time scale underneath that, there's been billions of years of all kinds of things happening, and people only appear at the very, very end of that, nowhere near the beginning. So it would seem that Mark 10, verse 6 is wrong if the evolutionary, if the millions of years time scale is accurate. And there are, there are Christian ministries out there, and you can have a speaker come to your church to talk about millions of years. One of those is Reasons to Believe. Uh, the, the, the head guy there, the, the head guy there is a Canadian, so you can kind of, anyway. He's not American, so you have an excuse, right? Hugh Ross. Here, here's, compare this to Mark, what Jesus said in Mark 10. If the time since the, <coughs> since the creation of the universe were scaled down to a single year, the whole of human history would be less than one minute. That doesn't fit Mark 10, verse 6 at all, does it? Take Jesus' word or, or Hugh Ross's word. Interesting. But even if, if, if we think of the word day in Genesis as the word yom, if God wanted to communicate to us that he took a, an eons of time, a long time to create, there are plenty of Hebrew time words that could have been used in Genesis that, that, did, that would indicate a long period of time. For example, here's a word that means generation. You could take the word yom out of there, which means day in Hebrew, put in generation. In the first generation, God did this and that. That would, that would add some ambiguity to it, wouldn't it? But, but that word isn't there. It's the word for day. And you, or you could modify the word day, yom, with this other word here, meaning length of days. In the first length of days, God did this. In the second length of days, he did that. That would add some flexibility, right? Here's a word that means season or time. You could throw that one in there. Here's one that means season. Here's one that means time in general. Here's one that means forever. There's one that means of old. There's one that means always or forever. There's one that means continually or forever. Here's one that means perpetual or of old or forever. There's all kinds of words that could have been used in Genesis to, to, to stretch out the time period, but you won't find those words in Genesis. Moses had those words at his disposal, never used any of them. And we've got to ask, if God created over millions of years, couldn't Moses have written it that way? He could have, couldn't he? <laughs> Plenty of Hebrew words there to, to add ambiguity to the time frame, but those words aren't used. And even if you could stretch out the days, it still wouldn't work with the sequence of things. The, the sequence in Genesis of where God creates things, when God creates things, is different than the evolutionary sequence. According to Genesis, land plants were created before fish, but evolution has it completely backwards. Fish are millions of years before plants. So that doesn't work. In Genesis, fish and birds are created on the same day. Evolution has them separated by hundreds of millions of years. There's another problem. Genesis says the earth was created first and then the stars. Evolution, again, has it completely upside down. The earth is definitely younger than the stars, but it doesn't work. In, uh, in Genesis, we read that the earth was initially a universal ocean on day one, and on day three came land. So water came first, then came land. The Big Bang, the whole, the whole nebular hypothesis and so on, that kind of thing, or uh, how our solar system formed definitely has it the other way around. First, you have a hot, molten earth, and it takes millions of years to cool down before you have water. So other contradictions there. You ever heard of Martin Luther, the great reformer? Last year, 2017, was the, the 500, 500th anniversary of him nailing his 95 statements onto the, the castle church door there in Wittenberg, just a, a monumentous event in the history of the church. Um, now, Luther, Luther was a rebel, so we need to take some of his writings with a grain of salt, but he said this about the days in Genesis. We must understand that these days were actual days contrary to the opinion of the Holy Fathers. Whenever we observe that the opinions of the fathers disagree with Scripture, we reverently bear with them and acknowledge them to be our elders. Nevertheless, we do not depart from the authority of Scripture for their sake. <laughs> and that's kind of the perspective we all need to have. There are, there are unfortunately, many people in Christian circles who are talking about, oh yeah, no, no problem to add millions of years into the Bible. And most of them haven't gone through that logical progression that we've gone through a couple of times here at Gull Lake already. There's problems. 
But our perspective needs to be like Luther. It doesn't matter the status, the stature of these, these esteemed theologians and pastors. We go with Scripture, regardless of what they say, regardless of what the fad is in Christian bookstores and uh, the latest thinking. We go with Scripture. Take Martin Luther's approach. There's all kinds of ideas out there that we can get sidetracked on. The flood wasn't global. It was just a little flood, itty-bitty little local flood. Theistic evolution, that's the idea that you just, you just believe evolution. And somehow God's involved in that. But you just, evolution, hook, line, and sinker, the whole thing. Day, age, that's stretching out the creation. Progressive creation, that one just boggles my mind. God creates some organisms and they don't work out. They go extinct and he creates different ones and they go extinct and he creates different ones. They go extinct. Then he creates ape-like creatures that look like humans. But they, go, they don't work out and then he creates humans. Weird. But gap theory, we talked, there was a question about that yesterday, millions of years between verse 1 and verse 2, and framework hypothesis, that's an interesting one as well. There's all these ideas out there. Interesting. Now, in, in, I just want to, want to preface what we're going to do here in the next few minutes. I'm going to quote from some theologians, and, and I'm, I'm not suggesting that these gentlemen are not Christians, that they're not believers some of them have died. I'm not suggesting they're not in heaven or anything like that. I want us to look at their writings and see where they place their authority. Is it with Scripture or is it with outside ideas? Let's start with Paddle Pun. He's from Wheaton College. It is apparent that the most straightforward understanding of the Genesis record is that God created heaven and earth in six solar days, that man was created in the sixth day, that death and chaos entered the world after the fall of Adam and Eve, that all of the fossils were the result of the catastrophic universal deluge which spared only Noah's family and the animals therewith. Now, so far so good, right? So he's saying if you take it straightforwardly, <clears throat> if you just draw the meaning from the text, what do you get? Recent creation in six days and a global flood. But he doesn't believe that. I left something out. Here's what I left out. It is apparent that the most straightforward understanding of the Genesis record, without regard to all of the hermeneutical considerations suggested by science. It's amazing. So you, you, you see from his writings, he admits that if you take God's word straightforwardly, you get recent creation, six days, and a global flood. But he doesn't believe that because of something in Scripture? No, because of outside ideas. Interesting. Let's look at another one. Gleason Archer, Survey of the Old Testament, famous book. From a superficial reading of Genesis 1, he's actually being sarcastic here, from a superficial reading of Genesis 1, the impression would seem to be that the entire creative process took place in six 24-hour days. If this was the true intent of the Hebrew author, this seems to run counter to modern scientific research, which indicates that the planet Earth was created several billion years ago. He doesn't believe in six literal days either. But he admits, if you take it superficially, that's what it seems to say. It's interesting. They, they can all see that that's what the Bible says, but they're not going to follow it because of outside ideas. Let's do one more. James Boyce, James Montgomery Boyce, a, a wonderful expositional Bible-preaching pastor. I've got a book of, of Easter sermons, a collection of Easter sermons from him. Just wonderful. He died a while ago already. He's in heaven today. No question about it. A great man of God. We have to admit here that the exegetical basis of the creationists is strong. Well, what, what does he mean by that? He means that the way that we're exegeting Scripture, the way that we're getting the meaning from the text is good. In spite of the careful biblical and scientific research that has accumulated in support of the creationist view, what's he admitting here? He's actually admitting that there's scientific evidence for a young earth. And so he's admitting that. There are problems that make the theory wrong to most, including many evangelical scientists. Okay, now what's he going to say? Some area of Scripture compels us to understand Genesis differently? No. Data from various disciplines point to a very old earth and an even older universe. Amazing. Why do they do it? There's such a powerful temptation to do that. When you have the Bible and, and man's fallible ideas about what happened in the past that no, one has, no living person has observed today, guess what? When, when people try to make them agree, guess which one gets modified? It's Scripture. How can that be? We have to have a higher view of Scripture. We should question 
If, if data from various scientific disciplines doesn't match Scripture, we should be asking, okay, where did they go off the rails? Somewhere, the research must have gone, gone, gone south somehow because the Bible says the earth is young. You can clearly deduce that. Back to Martin Luther. When Moses writes that God created heaven and earth and whatever is in them in six days, then let this period continue to have been six days and do not venture to devise any comment according to which six days were one day. Now let's just pause there. The church 500 years ago in Luther's time was teaching that God did everything in one day. <laughs> we got kind of the opposite problem today, right? But he said, no, if it says six days, then God created in six days. And he goes on. I love this next part. But if you cannot understand how this could have been done in six days, then grant the Holy Spirit the honor of being more learned than you are. <laughs> and again, Luther was a rebel, so we need to understand his, his perspective there. But that's, that's the perspective we all need to have, right? And he continues, For you are to deal with Scripture in such a way that you bear in mind that God himself says what is written. But since God is speaking, it is not fitting for you wantonly to turn his word in the direction you wish to go. Amen. That's the, we all need to have a perspective like Luther. And that's the way he phrased it 500 years ago on Bible college campuses today. That same kind of idea is, is, is transmitted in this modern sense. If the plain sense makes good sense, then seek no other sense. The plain sense of Genesis 1 if you look at the text, you take the, take the words there, go to the original languages, draw the meaning from the words. The plain sense is God created recently in six literal days and it was followed by a global flood. That's the plain sense of the word. What about science? You know what? We don't have time for that. Pop 3 starts in five minutes. But there's plenty of young earth evidences and the, 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 the few dating methods that do give the millions and billions of years, there's reasons why they give those seemingly anomalous dates, those high dates. And we can talk about that at another time uh, or, or, or see me afterwards. And there's resources over there as well to kind of do that. Both the Bible and science indicate that the earth is young. Creation Magazine, again, that there's lots of Articles in there, comes every, every three months. It's, qu it's a quarterly magazine, not monthly. We're all busy, right? You get three months between each one. It's, now, it is a family magazine. Some people have asked about this. That doesn't mean that it's for kids. By family, I mean you don't need a PhD to understand the articles. <laughs> That's what I mean by family. There is a kids section. Your older kids can read it to your younger kids. But it is meant to be for non-scientists. You don't need a science degree to understand the articles there. Some of them are going to be a little more technical, you're going to have to apply yourself, but they're meant to be uh, um, understandable to the layman. It's $750, billed to your credit card or bank account every three months. We've talked about this already. You get a hard copy, a digital copy in your first issue for free, and you can sign up with these forms. They're laying on the table back there. If you want uh, this session on DVD, it's also recorded. But by all means, get the audios from the uh, Gull Lake folks here. Uh, there's a DVD back there, what the Bible and science say about the age of the earth. We never got to the and science part tonight. but um, So there you go. There's a DVD. There with this, this session's already on DVD. There's a book. If, if you struggle with things like radiometric dating, doesn't that prove that the earth is millions of years old? There is a brilliant book done by scientists formerly in San Diego. Now their office is in Dallas. Uh, thousands, not billions. It's, it's the research results of, a, of kind of an intensive eight-year creationist task force specifically to study radioisotope dating because that's one of the dating methods that does give millions and billions of years. Why? Why does that dating method specifically give those high numbers whereas the majority of others give lower numbers? Why is that? And some amazing, amazing research summarized in that book. The Creation Answers book has several chapters on this issue of the age of the earth. And you get all kinds of other stuff. How dinosaurs fit into the Bible, where he can't get his wife. What about the gap theory? Could the days be millions of years long? How about different races? How does that work if we all come from Noah and Adam? Now, we also publish another magazine, not Creation Magazine, but the Journal of Creation. Creation Magazine is a family magazine. Short articles, color pictures. It's very pretty. This one doesn't have short articles. It doesn't have color pictures. It has formulas and charts and graphs. And if that's the kind of thing that gets you excited, this, this, this is where you're going to find cutting-edge creationist research for the first time. Bible-believing scientists all around the world contribute to this magazine. 
a fantastic magazine if you want something a little head and shoulders above more, more technical. But on the other end of the spectrum, I did bring stuff for kids' books. There's a pack over there of five kids' books, uh, all kinds of different things that you can use as parents to teach your kids at, at a basic level some of these truths. And then, of course, as they age up, you can, you can add more technical details, talk about theology and some of the science and so on. But you can start young. Or the website. You don't need to spend anything to get information. We put a lot of effort to putting thousands and thousands of articles, over 10,000 articles on creation.com. And my TV show put a lot of effort in there too. When, uh, when uh, Ray talks about all the, the TV stuff they do, I, I, I understand the complexities of producing a TV show. We, we've, we've been doing that for, for over seven years now. But uh, lots of good information. So, all right. I hoped we'd have time for questions tonight. We don't. Uh, Pop 3 starts in about two minutes. And uh, let me just pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for preserving your word down through the years. We thank you that we can trust it. We thank you that it records a particular history where when we look at the world around us, when, when scientists discover more about your creation, their data fits beautifully with what your word says. We thank you that we can trust the Bible. We thank you that you've preserved truth for us. And I just pray for the folks here that they'd make use of some resources that are available nowadays, the free stuff like on the website, for example, and, and get themselves to a point where they can fully trust your word. Not, not just in creation, evolution, some of these technical details, but also as it speaks to various difficulties that they may be going through in their lives, that they can trust your word for solutions to everything in life. And more than that, Lord, I pray again, as we have before, that folks would use this information and share it with people who are struggling to believe that your word is true. And as a result, we pray for a great harvest. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.